Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from the people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are working to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm joined in studio by Robbie Dowling and we'll both be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Robbie, you're very welcome. Thanks as always, Deirdre. So, Robbie, we're um, discussing local climate and environmental action, which we began our conversations on last week, um, which the focus was around biodiversity. We're staying on the topic this week, but a specific focus on water. Yeah, that's it. On tonight's show, we're going to look at water, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, we're going to get the thoughts of Fran Igo of the local authority's water programme on the need to change the water supply, as well as delving into a range of other topics. But first up this evening, Acting Chief Fire Officer with the Carlow County Council, Lean Carl, caught up with me to look at how they use the rainwater harvesting system and all the other innovative ways they're changing their approach to a more environmentally friendly one. I began by asking him to give me an understanding of his own background. Yeah, so I studied uh, civil engineering in UCD, so an honours degree in civil engineering. Um, and when I finished college, I worked for a number of years in construction and then uh, a role came up in building control with Waterford County Council, building control in the fire service, and I applied for that. Um, and from that, then I I moved around to different fire authorities, so and getting promotion. So I worked in Waterford County Fire Service, Leash, Galway, uh, Wicklow, and I'm with uh, Carla Fire Service for the last six years. And what does your role as Acting Chief Fire Officer entail? It's a responsibility for uh, the operation of the fire service, so I suppose what people are most familiar with are the big red fire trucks that they see going out. Um, the management of the staff, procurement of equipment, vehicles, um, then I suppose the piece that people mightn't be aware of, we also do an awful lot of work on fire prevention, building regulations, so um, inspection of premises, inspection of licensed premises, prosecutions if there are people in breach of those um, uh, regulations. We also work in the area of major emergency management, so planning for a very large incident, so God forbid there's a train derailment, a plane crash or a large fire that we can we plan for those very large eventualities as well and also we manage the building control section in Carlow County Council as well so if somebody is building a new building, commercial building or domestic house there's a whole um, suite of regulations there in terms of how the building should be built so we also manage that for Carlow County Council as well so it's quite a fairly broad range of functions that we do, it's not just uh, having the red fire engines going out the door so uh, yeah it's, and it can be quite technical and um, but yeah, it's an interesting job, very enjoyable job. Yeah, certainly sounds it. And you mentioned maybe that you're with the Carlow Fire Service the last sixty years, involved uh, with other county councils as well. All the functions there were kind of incredible. I think people like myself wouldn't have maybe had a full understanding of what you do. But how has it evolved and changed over the last decade or so? Yeah, I suppose our like our range of equipment that we have has improved technology has moved on um you know as a whole and even as technology in, in terms of in a, in a climate uh, focused area the electric vehicles um okay it's fantastic in terms of from a climate point of view in terms of reducing carbon the carbon footprint of um the vehicles and emissions from burning petrol and diesel but it's creating a huge issue for ourselves in terms of battery fires, if a ve- an electric vehicle goes on fire, we, we actually can't extinguish those fires. They'll, they'll actually burn uncontrolled. Um, there's a lot of research being done internationally on how to f- uh, extinguish those battery fires. 
Um, but it does create a lot of challenges for ourselves. And similarly, if those vehicles are involved in a road traffic accident, they're very high-voltage cables running from the battery to the motor. And not with a normal vehicle, we use high, high hydraulic cutting tools to cut. If somebody is involved in an accident and they need to be cut from a vehicle, um, a standard domestic car, we can cut that quite easily. But with an electric vehicle, there's cables running um, in the door sills at a high level above a driver's head. So if we cut those cables, we can actually, our firefighters can actually be electrocuted. So that change in technology, while it's very beneficial for the environment, it is posing new challenges for ourselves and how we deal with that. And that's really fascinating to, to hear. And something that you also mentioned at the start was, obviously at the moment we're in the midst of some very warm weather. How challenging is that also for a fire service? Yeah, like I'm at this job 15, 16 years, but in the last five years there's been a sea change in terms of the weather and weather conditions and how extreme weather events have become. And I suppose the best example I can give of that was only last year in Carlow on the 14th of August. We had, a, say for the week previous or two weeks previous, that we had a very warm spell. Um, and we had a massive gorse fire in Mount Leinster, which we had to use helicopters to extinguish. And I suppose up to now, helicopters have never been used to extinguish fires on the Black Stairs Mountains. But last year, we actually used helicopters on three different occasions. So that morning of August 14th was a Sunday morning. It was a massive fire. Um, there was hundreds of acres of an SASC, especially area conservation, burnt. Uh, helicopters were used. Um, very difficult conditions for our firefighters to extinguish that fire. Then literally 48 hours later, on August the 16th, it was a Tuesday night or Tuesday evening, a lot of you might remember it, there was torrential downpours of rain in Carlow, just tropical downpours, which we actually had to put our crews into dry suits, into water rescue suits and, and rescue people that were trapped in cars or businesses destroyed by flooding, homes destroyed by flooding. And even to, I had to facilitate Red Cross funding there for, to support businesses where their um, you know, stock had been damaged, shops had been damaged, businesses had been damaged. Um, some of the public houses around Carroll Town were, were flooded. So just within 48 hours, we had a complete polar opposite in terms of um, the weather that happened. So we had drought conditions to you know flooding, which caused huge problems. So it, it was two extremes in 48 hours, and we're, we're seeing that more and more often. Um, you know, flooding has become uh, more and more common. We've actually had to train more of our firefighters. Now we have maybe 60% of our firefighters are actually trained and flood and swift water rescue so to, to rescue people from cars from flooded houses and uh, we've had to invest a lot of money in training and equipment in terms of how to respond to that because we are we are often called on a number of times a year to, de- to deal with flooding incidents and people trapped in cars and people trapped in floodwaters uh, around the county so um and i suppose planning just for future extreme weather events like it is getting more and more extreme um, the weather has just seen the last five years it's been noticeable and, and I can only assume that that's going to continue um, and similarly two years ago we had people trapped in the mountain in Mount Leinster we had 30-40 people trapped in snow in Mount Leinster um, they'd gone for a walk and a, a heavy fall of snow came so we actually had to use we had to train our firefighters since that event in severe weather driving and driving in snow and to buy new equipment for uh, our vehicles to travel in snow and ice as well so the climate change is having a huge impact on, on what we do and how we do work and um, costing the lo- local authority a lot of money as well in terms of responding and and for us to plan and to buy equipment to deal with those incidents. And that was kind of the next point I was going to touch on. Before we get on to maybe um, all the great work that you are doing around the environment with a particular focus on water, when extreme weather conditions come up, kind of like now, are you ever stretched personnel-wise or from an equipment perspective either? 
Yeah, I suppose it was a twenty eighteen. It was a very dry summer, um, and we had there's one um evening in particular which brings to mind where we had every resource in the county mobilised to deal with uh, gorse fires in the mountains. We had we had fires in urban and fires in urban areas during during uh, dry weather can be very challenging as well. You know, you have young people setting fires to fields, to ditches and housing estates and that. You know, we had a, the train line from Waterford to Dublin actually had to be stopped for an hour while uh, a fire actually encroached onto the railway track in Bagnestown. But with every resource in the county was mobilised at that stage and it was just a case of moving from one fire to the next. And unfortunately, a lot of these fires, you know, people think that there's kind of a misconception out there that a fire can start with a glass bottle being magnified. It's, it's people lighting fires in forest, indeed. And like 99% of these fires are deliberate, that are, are in the open. And it just poses a challenge for us. And it, it is a bit of a, a waste of time, a waste of money and a waste of resources that we actually have to deal with it. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. We have to deal with it and we try and deal with it as best we can. But it can put pressure on our resources and can put pr- pr- pressure on our staff, um, particularly on the mountains. Like the People might be aware of how we actually extinguish fires, gorse fires in the mountains. We actually have to trek wearing our heavy PPE. The PPE can weigh 20 kilos and we physically have to just beat the fires with a, a long pole with a rubber mat on the end of it and try and uh, extinguish the fire that way. Like We, we don't normally... Um, mobilise helicopters to assist us in those very large fires that we, we do that. But if the fires aren't near a public road, it can be very challenging for us to extinguish those fires. And that's that's um, really interesting and terrifying, I must say, if, if you were involved in it. But that's with regards to kind of the challenges posed by climate change. And if we continue our conversation along those lines, I know that you're very heavily involved with the Climate Action Plan also, isn't that correct? That's right, yeah. So I sit in the Carlow County Council's Climate Action Team and we feed into the, the Council's uh, Climate Action Plan. So there's kind of three facets to that in terms of how the direct involvement, how uh, the fire service is going to reduce our carbon footprint by 51%, how we influence um, the public and the citizens of Carlow through regulatory, um, so, so through the building control function, through Part L of the building control um, regulations in terms of Heat producing appliances, you know, you might be aware of these air to water heat pumps, insulation of houses, heat recovery systems. So our building control section manages that. And then how we encourage people through our fire prevention section in terms of um, how to, to reduce the uh, impact of fires, fires in the homes, fires in urban areas. But last year we did a lot of work with PhD researchers from University College Cork, uh, just in terms of mapping and uh, quantifying the impact of fires in Carlow. So... Uh, it was uh, the equivalent of 800 football fields, GAA fields, that actually burnt in Carlow in five years. And the, just the output of those fires is equivalent to 4,000 domestic cars been driven for a year. So that's just to give a kind of a layman's... Uh, it was very interesting. It was very interesting work dealing with, with UCC on it and just to give what the impact of these fires is. And all of these fires have been mapped on a, a very detailed um, uh, geo map and... The, like all the fires and information can be interrogated but it was just it was fascinating just to see what the actual the environmental, environmental impact of those fires is having on the environment in Carlow And all of those stats are, are incredible really and staggering but just in terms of the climate action plan itself why do you feel as though it's imperative for the fire service to be involved in that when we talk about maybe furthering the battle against the climate crisis? Yeah, so I suppose as a public body, as a public sector, um, we have to lead by example in terms of the actions that we take. 
um, the to reduce our carbon footprint. You know, there's no point. Um, me or the local authority saying that the general public should be doing X, Y, and Z without leading by example. And and we suppose we are trying to lead by example uh, on that front. You know, we've um, developed a couple of different initiatives in the fire service. So just as, like in the last couple of years, we've installed. Uh, PV panels on the roof of the station which has brought uh, our headquarters station in Carlow Town which has brought down our ESB bills fairly significantly and uh, we also need to do some work um, on further capital work on the station in terms of increasing um, insulation improving insulation improving the quality and the U value of the windows that we have and our heating system the heating system is an old g- gas burner um, but that hopefully will be replaced with an air to water system in the next uh, 12 months or so We've also kind of um, adopted fairly simple, um, you know, different simple um, strategies in terms of trying to reduce water consumption. So just a simple one that we've done in the last year or two is we uh, do some rainwater harvesting. So uh, we have a fairly big footprint of a building where the rainwater falls on the roof and that rainwater has just been wasted down the gully. So we, we actually capture that water now and that water has been used to wash our fire engines. Um, so we, I think it's about 35,000 litres of water we're saving per year uh, by using that just a simple it's a simple setup where the water from the, from a, from the roof is, is captured into, into tanks and our pressure washers are hooked up to that kind of the unintended consequence of that is, is the water is pure there's no um, impurities in the water so we get a nice finish on the fire engine they're shinier and there's no kind of residues on, on, the, on the engines or on the glass and um, and I suppose another issue that we just developed only in the last couple of weeks is we our training centre at Hackettstown. The training centre in Hackettstown is the busiest training centre in Ireland now for training firefighters from around the whole country. It's not just Carlow, so we train, we train, recruit firefighters and um, well-established firefighters in a whole range of disciplines. But we just recently completed a, a large extension on our drill yard. So I think it actually is the biggest drill yard now in the country where we train firefighters. But all the rainfall that falls in that yard now is captured in underground um, tanks. So we capture about 20,000 litres of water from the rainfall. That water then is used to train firefighters and how, how to operate pumps. So our pumps obviously are a very important piece of equipment in terms of how we pump water onto fires to extinguish fires. So instead of using mains water, treated water, that t- uses a lot of energy and it's, it's, a, it's a scarce commodity, we capture the rainwater and use that to train our firefighters. Um, the one of the other initiatives that we have at the moment is we're developing um, the first eco-friendly fire appliance in Ireland um, at the moment. So battery technology, as I mentioned earlier on, it's fine for cars, but heavy goods vehicles has a long ways to go in terms of um, battery storage and ha- being able to, to, to power a, a heavy vehicle, kind of an 18, 20 ton vehicle for eight or 10 hours. The technology isn't there yet. But what we're, we're working with a company in Carlow, it's a company called HPMP. They're based in Tullow, but they're the leading builders of fire engines in the country. It's probably something people aren't aware of, but they're, they're an excellent company. We work closely with them and, and different initiatives. So we're working with them at the moment in terms of developing this new appliance and also with a company in um, Offaly, Acetech, uh, because they're a software-based company. So they're working with us in terms of 
making efficiencies on how the, the the fire engine operates, how it works. Um, you know that it it won't it, computer programs and software is used to try and manage how the engine operates to reduce consum reduce fuel consumption. We'll also be putting um, solar panels on the roof of the vehicle. A lot of the, the technology on our the new fire engines, a lot of the equipment we use is battery based now, like everything else. So our hydraulic cutting equipment that I mentioned earlier that we use for cutting people out of vehicles, traditionally that would have been a petrol driven engine, generates massive pressures, 750 bar pressure. So if you think of the tyre in your car is only two bar, this piece of equipment will operate pressures of 750 bar that'll actually, it'll tear through any kind of metal structure, it'll tear through a truck, bus, car, uh, in terms of to cut somebody out of a vehicle. But technology has moved on, all of that um, technology is now battery based. So we use 18 volt batteries and we still have the same pressures, but the solar panels on the vehicle will be used to charge the um, those tools, we use the thermal imaging cameras that we use to see through smoke and irrespirable atmospheres, all that will be charged using solar technology as well, all our radio systems um, and even the, the lights on the roof of the fire engine, if the vehicle is parked up, the, the lights will be powered by solar as well. So. It's not a solution in terms of you know battery technology to, to, to actually power a fire engine for to, to, to operate at a large instant to pump for 8, 10, 12 hours. It's not there and it won't be there for a long number of years. But I suppose this can go some way. And we've done calculations on it in terms of the, the, the kilograms of CO, carbon dioxide that we can save. So it's, it's significant as well. Um, but it's just going some ways towards reducing the carbon footprint of, of what we do and um, you know, in terms of the, the climate change and that. So... Yeah, hopefully it, it, all these projects come together. Like an even simple enough one as well, our training centre in Hackestown, we just recently um, introduced beehives. Uh, so we have about an acre, an acre and a half of a wildland meadow there. So we just recently introduced beehives into the into that um, meadow to try and you know increase the biodiversity in, in Hackestown. And hopefully we might get a couple of jars of honey out of it as well. So, um, But yeah, so far all... It's very successful. It's great buying at all levels from uh, the firefighters as well, you know. So it's uh, hopefully it'll be a success story, yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like a success story so far. And the sheer volume of work that you're doing is incredible. And I didn't even know half of it, to be honest with you, before I spoke to you today. But it kind of maybe the main thing I took away from all of it as well is maybe that you're not sort of following other people. You seem to be leaders in this area and that you're striving to maybe take this forward and not sort of being reactive but rather proactive yeah i suppose like we're kind of we're following on the we have a very proactive uh climate action coordinator and genetic ryan in the local authority and the senior engineer and environment all the barrett as well they're, they're very proactive and um in terms of trying to bring everyone on board um with the climate action and all of the different sections within the local authority and I suppose, as I said at the start, we have to lead by example. And I suppose our, our primary focus, obviously, our day-to-day -day job is responding to fires, dealing with um, fire prevention issues, carrying out inspections of premises. But we also have to have our eye on the ball. And I think everyone has to have their eye on the ball in terms of how to reduce the carbon output. Um, and I suppose the fact that we're at the kind of the coal face of the extreme climate events that's really kind of where it's, it's highlighted to us, the impact of climate change and how the impact it's having locally um, and the effect it, it's having, you know, climate change is not just, 
it's not something that you read about or you see in television anymore that you see it's in, it's in the North Pole or the South Pole or you're seeing the polar ice caps are melting. You know, we're seeing it on the ground um, and we're seeing it far more often than we probably should in terms of how extreme these weather events and how often they're happening. And, you know, we should be leading by example as a public body and you know, as a public sector to try and reduce our output and also to try and influence other people's behaviour uh, in terms of re- reducing our, the, our carbon footprint. You have great experience in this area personally, Liam. As an onlooker, as well as obviously being in the midst of it, do you feel as though these changes are coming at a good pace? Are they coming maybe too slowly? Are they coming too fast for you to kind of uh, embody them and kind of integrate them all into your day-to-day work? What's your kind of general overview of the whole thing? Yeah, I suppose in the last five to ten years, I think people have recognised that climate change is a problem that you know that people's uh, behaviors are going to have to change to to try and reduce the, ca- the carbon output so like we are seeing a lot more uh, electric vehicles on the road all new homes are being very well insulated um the the new air to water heat systems are um they've been very successful on new homes absolutely they have been um, the local authority housing section are retrofitting all the homes uh, in their housing stock with um, new insulation and new air-to-water heat system as well. That's having a huge impact, I think, uh, those kind of measures. The you know the proliferation of electric vehicles, like everybody wants to have an electric vehicle, now they want to have an electric car, they're supposed to see the savings, now notwithstanding the increase in electricity prices recently, but um, along with the financial savings, I suppose people are, are more aware of um, the climate and climate change. Um, similarly, you know, photovoltaic panels, PV panels, um, that they have become far more common to be retrofitted onto older houses. They're almost coming a standard now on new homes as well. Um, so, I think the big change in the building standards in only in the last probably four to five years is having a huge impact on all the new buildings that are built going forward. I suppose the challenge that's there now is to how to retrofit older homes, older commercial buildings, older factories, to make them more energy efficient. You know, I think going forward, any new builds, it's, it's pretty much boxed off there in terms of um, building standards, modern methods of construction um, will massively reduce the output of those, those homes in terms of carbon uh, and the use of fossil fuels. But as I said, the challenge there now is, and I suppose with electric vehicles as well going forward, and you know, I hear... Um, European legislation and even the, manu- the car manufacturers are saying they're not going to build any new uh, petrol or diesel engines beyond 2025 or 2030 or something um, so that sea change is coming but there's a big challenge there I think in terms of how to retrofit older homes and how to make um, I suppose older people aware of the the implications and even the, the savings that they can make under carbon footprint, but also the financial savings that they can make in terms of properly insulating their homes and retrofitting their homes with um, insulation, with new windows, doors, that kind of thing. And I'm acutely aware that there's a huge financial outlay on that as well. And it's, it's not for me to, you know, um, to to be speaking about the financial. It, it is it is a huge financial outlay, um, but the I suppose there are schemes in place there from government to try and. Uh, retrofit older homes and that, and probably more work needs to be done on that front. But I, I think we're heading in the right direction. There's, 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 you know, there's a lot of bad things done in the past and with regard to climate. Um, but absolutely, I think going forward that, that there is huge changes. Society has changed and has recognised that changes are needed, and we're we're heading in the right direction. We've a lot done, but there's a lot more to do. 
And just a few more things before I let you go, Liam. Um, something that you'd actually know a little bit earlier was the rainwater harvesting system. Uh, that sounded really interesting to me. How did that idea actually come about and how has it been implemented? Yeah, so in fairness, the state, our whole time station officer here in Carlow Town, uh, Daryl Hayden, he, he just came to me one day and said there was an old tank in the yard and he said, would we use that for rainwater harvesting? So I thought it was a great idea. Not full credit to him on that. Um, so he... You know, just he had a couple of minutes spare here and there, and probably a week or two, we got a few blocks laid and p- p- lifted the tank into place. Um, company came in and, and literally just adjusted one downpipe from a gutter, um, and all the water has been captured there. Um, and as I said, it's a huge success. We've now kind of a dedicated washing area where all the vehicles are washed in the one location. The firefighters in Carlow across the whole county are they're very proud to take great pride in their vehicles and how well they're kept. Um and you know they're second to none and how how well they're maintained and that so the I suppose this is the, un, the unintended consequence of the the greater shine that's on the from the machines and that you know and uh, there's no residues on the glass it's unintended consequence it's, it's widely accepted just part and parcel of what we do now it was I suppose people are wondering what 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 are you at there you know rainwater harvesting what's that about but you know it's widely accepted it saves financial savings as well in terms of you know we're saving thousands and thousands of liters of water as well that we're not taking from the public drinking supply. So, uh, yeah, huge success and, you know, full credit to Darryl for coming up with the idea. And we were kind of looking back on maybe stuff that has been done in the past for the good of the present, but in terms of the future, what do you see being the biggest challenges and the biggest changes to your job and the job of the Carroll County Fire and Rescue Service? Yeah, I suppose when you see this planning applications have been lodged for um, around the country and I think one or two lodged in Carroll as well for... Um, Solar farms, you know, eighty or hundred acres of solar farms, um, fantastic, very welcome, you know, technology, um, and battery storage associated with that. But the just from the fire service point of view, we are catching up on that technology. And if there was a fire in a panel or a fire in, in like those panels are always live. Mm. We can't isolate the power. So if um, you know, a piece of infrastructure is on fire and, and a, 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 an electricity supply from a solar panel is being fed to a battery storage you know, there's potential for us to be electrocuted um, and similarly even on domestic homes that challenge is there as well and you know, we're working uh, as a group, the fire officers nationally in terms of trying to identify uh, new standards that um, how those supplies, the electricity supply from those panels can be isolated to a home if the home is on fire to protect our staff because there is dangers there from from an execution so we've, we're looking at everything from putting a cover over the panel to try and isolate so that it's dark so that it's not receiving sunlight so that the power is isolated or even putting foam um, a blanket of foam across the panel itself again to block out the light to reduce the, the voltage that's coming through but as I said, all this new technology, while it's very welcome um, the fire service has to catch up a little bit uh, in terms of how we respond to, the, to those type of incidents. And just finally, on today and the, the warm weather that we're currently getting here across Carlow and Kilkenny and across the country, um, what are the biggest things that members of the public can do to avoid bad situations for yourselves? Yeah, I suppose the just in terms of the upland areas, open fields, that kind of a thing, they know that they just take extra care um, if they are out and about and it, uh, in the countryside if they're walking by all means enjoy the countryside but again a dispo- a, just a carelessly disposed cigarette can set off a fire very very quickly barbecues we would have had issues in the past with barbecues people using the disposable barbecues in particular 
and you know sitting beside down at the river or whatever and having uh, enjoying a barbecue but the disposable barbecues it's a hot surface if it's left down on grass the grass is going to catch fire um barbecues and balconies can be very dangerous as well those disposable barbecues put down on a timber decking on a on a barbecue on a decking at the back of a house they will ignite it will set fire to the decking and if it's outdoor on the decking outdoor and decking behind a semi-detached house it's you know the decking will catch fire and hopefully we can get there quickly but decking on a, on a balcony can be very very challenging for us and you know it can cause fire spread um from apartment to apartment um similarly if people are out and about you know on the forestry roads that they don't block any forestry roads you know people parking cars to go for a walk uh we need access into the, those forestry tracks um to um you know to try and get access to forestry if forestry is on fire um, swimmers as well unfortunately you know, we, we've had a, a couple of incidents in recent years of, of people who've lost their lives while swimming on the River Barrow and unfortunately we get called to those incidents as well often um, along with the Coast Guard so just to be aware of you know, if people are swimming in the River Barrow or Slaney um, over the next couple of days you know, just to be, be extra cautious of where they're swimming if they don't know the water don't swim there you know, there's designated bathing areas there's designated lifeguards only swim in those areas don't swim in where there's no lifeguards or Definitely don't swim if you have any alcohol or other substances taken because, again, your judgment is going to be impaired, your fitness is going to be impaired. So somebody who might be a strong swimmer, if they've had a couple of drinks, their judgment is going to be impaired, but also their physical response is going to be impaired. So it's just something to bear in mind. Um, and, you know, we've only a couple of days left of this fine weather, so just get out and enjoy it while we can. Liam Carl, Acting Chief Fire Officer with Carlow County Council. They're chatting with Robbie about the work that they are doing in Carlow County Fire and Rescue Service. And coming up after the break, we'll hear from Fran Igo of the Local Authorities Water Programme. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. And Robbie, before the break, we heard from Liam Carroll, who is the Acting Chief Fire Officer with Carlow County Council. Yeah, and now we're going to hear from Fran Igo of the Local Authorities Water Programme on the work that he does and that they do to make changes to the water supply. Okay, so my job is I'm one of the three coordinators who work with the organisation to... um, support, I guess, the agencies and the local authorities to um, improve and protect water quality in Ireland. So it's all part of the the Water Framework Directive and there's a plan, like a roadmap called the River Basin Management Plan and that outlines, you know, the the status of the water, the the water quality situation across the country in the rivers and the lakes and the coast and estuaries and so on. The EPA do the science on that and then uh, within that plan there's a programme of measures that's stuff that people can do to try and protect and improve water quality and then our job is to try and help move that along. So we're like the, the grease that oils the wheels of what we call the Water Framework Directive. And what's your own background as an individual, friend? How did you get involved in this line of work? My background, uh, originally I, I suppose as a kid, I used to do a lot of fishing. I'm from Wexford originally. And then we moved out to the countryside and just got interested in the whole area. I went on and did a, a degree in zoology. Then I did a PhD in zoology because there was no jobs about at the time. And I got a, a part-time job with fisheries, which is now in Fisheries Ireland. And that really opened my eyes. I ended up working with them for quite a number of years. And then I worked in rural development on a big project with farmers to try and come up with a, a, a measures to uh, affect water quality and nature. 
and then my current role is is working where I am. So I cover eleven counties, and a big part of what I do is, is working with all the different agencies along with the local authorities, including uh, Carlo and Kilkenny, Kent Council, and Wexford in the southeast, uh, to try and I suppose promote uh, good water quality. And now that we now that you mentioned it, actually, good water quality. What are the main things that you do within the local authorities' water program? when it comes to making sure there's good quality of water but also being environmentally friendly and sustainable? Okay, so there's a number of things that we do. So the first thing is we work off the science. So we work off the information that the EPA um, have uh, figured out in terms of the, the, the water chemistry and the other parameters that they measure. And then we work with the relevant uh, stakeholders. We call them the pressure owners. So who who are the, who are they? The groups or people that can actually solve the problem. And that could be an agency, it could be a government department, or it could be you know um, a sector like forestry or agriculture, or it could be you know Ishka Aaron or whoever. So we follow the plan, as I said already, and uh, we have a catchment science team and we have a community team. And the community team work with uh, the public to support the public to uh, solve problems and increase awareness around water. And the catchment science team, what they do is they work with the relevant stakeholders and do more analysis at a local scale. So they look at the the catchment or the sub-catchment level. So, for example, the River Nore, they might look at the Kings River. Um, they look at uh, maybe the Pocock would be another one. So these are what we call um, uh, areas for action. And that's where we have specific work programs to try and improve those areas where they're not meeting the... The objectives of the of the directive, in other words, they're at risk of pollution or they or they are being polluted. So, um, so they work that stuff out, and then they work with the um, the stakeholders. Um, as I said, so could be working with with, with the forest service or with Quilche or with private forestry, or with the farming organisations. Um, and running in parallel with that is the the ASAP program, and that's a collaboration between the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Housing, and the dairy co-ops to uh, support farmers to uh, implement sustainability measures. Um, so they would also work there with the advisors um, who are working on that program. So it's a fairly big integrated approach and it's probably unique globally. I don't think it's happening anywhere in the world in in this approach. It's quite a holistic approach with everybody working together to try and solve the problem. And that's really interesting that you bring that up. And something else that you brought up was the fact that maybe there's a number of schemes and programs in place for different stakeholders when it comes to water. How important is it that local authorities put these sort of plans and programs into place to incentivize people to maybe change their ways and be more environmentally friendly when it comes to water supply? Well, it's hugely important. Um, at the end of the day, each local authority has a county development plan. And that outlines, you know, the plan for the for the future, and that all feeds off the, you know, speaks to the, the national planning framework. So if planning is not done sustainably, well, then you can't support, um, you know, local industry. So local industry needs clean water, for example. So it's important that the, the water as a resource is protected. Then also, you know, in terms of tourism, in terms of recreation, you know, and post-COVID, I think most people are more aware of the outdoors and the, the joy that it brings and mental health and all the other benefits as well. So... You have to look after the water quality and the habitats uh, that the water quality supports if you want to have a quality, let's say, product or resource, depending on how you want to look at it. So that's um, the logic behind why you know local authority might be interested 
Then in terms of the various sectors, again, the same thing. If Ireland trades on its green image globally, so it's important we can show and demonstrate that we actually are, you know, sustainable in our approaches. So a lot of what we do is to try and work out, you know, uh, solutions whereby whether it's, you know, agriculture or forestry or whatever, um, that the activities um, are environmentally friendly and, and following, I suppose, a... A, a a sustainable approach, you know, so that involves a bit of problem solving, looking to nature, looking to nature-based solutions. You know, for, for example, maybe leaving uh, buffer strips along the side of the river uh, to you know intercept pollutants if that's an issue, or planting trees, or putting in wetlands, or or just looking at nutrient applications to make sure that only enough is going out in land and not too much. And the same with um, septic tanks, you know, making sure they're managed and looked after and the same with wastewater treatment plants and industry to make sure that the discharges are appropriate um, and minimised as much as possible. How much has this area changed over the last number of years, friend, but particularly the last five to ten years where there feels like there's been a serious sort of look at this, not just from authorities but from society as a whole. Has it evolved a lot since then? I think it has, yeah. I think more and more people are are joining the the conversation. If that's the right way to look at it, I think people are more aware now. I mean, we have a climate crisis. You know, you hear about the biodiversity crisis. You know, arguably we have a water crisis, particularly in the southeast, where water quality has dropped dramatically in the last twelve to fifteen years. So I think there's an awareness, and I think there's a there is an acceptance amongst everybody right across the board, from people living in the towns and the villages right across into you know agriculture that you know you know we need to be you know work collectively to address, you know, the, the situation. And, you know, this could be a positive story because Ireland has a lot of, you know, we have a lot of potential here. We can do a lot. Other countries don't have the same latitude that we have. You know, we have a lot of water most of the time. If we look after it, you know, we can be, uh, I suppose we can be standard bearer in this area, you know. And we always have, you know, effectively had, you know, nature-based farming when you think about it. So, um, but I do think, there's more and more people kind of going, yeah, look, let's see if we can work together and, and, and do this. And it's important that, that you know, that we are um, positive in our approach um, and, and, you know, have, have an ambition that's appropriate. Because at the end of the day, we're leaving these rivers on for our, the next generation, you know. So it's important that we do actually look after them for, the, for our kids and grandkids going forward, you know. And if we just look at one or two more things before I let you go, Fran. Sure. To, to just kind of get back to basics what's the key rationale behind maybe altering or looking at the water supply for people well i mean according to the 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 the, the you know met Aaron, you know and we know this anyhow uh, our climate is changing we're going to have less water available during the summer months in particular we're going to have drier summers you know we can see it already we're going to a dry spell at the moment lots of small streams are already drying up so we're going. We're not going to have the same luxury we might have had in the past, where you know there was you know plenty of water to go around. Um, we're going to have to be more you know a bit more scientific in how we manage our water, and to make sure that there is enough to support um, not just wildlife but to support you know people going forward. So this is going to be you know if you look at what's happening in Spain and other countries. This is facing us if we don't get our act together and start planning around, you know, uh, managing the whole thing sustainably. And then if you flip it over, you know, with climate change, we're also going to get, you know, bigger, heavier weather events, so, so more extreme weather events as well. So, you know, uh, cloud bursts, catastrophic flooding events that would be very disruptive and cause flooding. So again, if we don't plan uh, nature-based solutions and other solutions to try and slow the water down during those events, you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have as a society pick up the, the, the costs of that damage. So it just makes good sense for us to you know, bring science to this, 
start planning ahead. We can't just keep going as as business as usual because we're going to have to start thinking about when rivers, for example, go low in the summertime, they won't have the same ability to absorb pollutants than they would have in the past. So we need to be thinking about this in terms of how we manage our different enterprises um, and, and and build all that in, you know. So that's you know that just, just makes good sense to protect everybody in society and make sure that we have a sustainable water source, you know, drinking water and for agriculture and for other uses as well. And very finally, Fran, in terms of individuals, local communities and society as a whole, do you think it requires a mindset change to move forward and apply the necessary changes for the good of everybody? It, it does, but I, th- I think a lot of people are doing it already. I, like at an individual level, just for people to think about, you know, you know, the simple stuff like not leaving taps running and make sure you don't have leaking pipes. If you see a leak, report it into Ishgair and now, these are basic stuff if you're on a farm and you have, again, if you have, uh, if you're abstracting water, for example, if you have a well, you know, make sure it's looked after um, and, and plan out how you how you manage your water. Um, so there's, there's there's things that we can all do. And then at a collective level, you know, at a government level, I suppose to support policies that actually work for broader society, for everybody. And it's really important that we all understand, you know, that if we're bringing in measures to make sure that we have good water security, that that is supported, you know, um, and that the conversations are scientific and keep them, keep them focused on, you know, us making sure that we do have a good water supply, particularly in the southeast, because that's where we're going to see the impact of climate change most. Fran, I go there chatting with Robbie and Robbie, just take a look back at the interviews there. What's the biggest things you've taken from those? Um... I'm not I'm not 100% sure kind of uh, what the biggest things are. I just think it was a general oversight that was brilliantly articulated by both Liam and Fran. Um, I, I think maybe, you know, to answer your question directly, when it comes to Liam, it was kind of the sheer volume of work. That was the word I used in the interview itself, and I think I'd use it again because I think it's applicable to what they're doing with um, in Carlow County Council because it's just like you can't even begin to fathom it until you start speaking to somebody like him who explains it in great detail as we heard um, but also explains it kind of in layman's terms um, what they're doing and I thought that was absolutely superb from Fran's point of view I thought it was interesting that he mentioned that the southeast of Ireland which obviously we occupy here in Kilkenny and Carlow is a lot drier than other areas around the country and I thought his comparisons between kind of what's happening currently in more in warmer countries, the likes of Spain, as he mentioned, and other countries in that region could eventually occur here in Ireland yeah. in terms of drought and the possibility of serious, serious, um, you know, effects coming down the line for this country. And obviously with the with the idea that the southeast is drier, you would think it would, it would hit us first and hit us harder. So that was concerning, but also well, it's enlightening, I think. Well, that in, in both um, interviews, I suppose we're talking about extreme weather events and the impact yes. that they can have. Um, you know, when Liam was speaking about from the fire services in both in terms of putting out the fires, needing the helicopters and then, you know, the flooding situation. So that's really interesting to hear as well, the impacts that has that has. Yeah, I think so. I, I just think it was um, from their point of view, I, I think I said it as well with Liam, like with extreme weather conditions and things that are happening. And obviously we're so focused on the summer at the moment because we're, we're having really warm weather. But he mentioned kind of in snow or when there's floods and things like that it's very difficult for them. It's a difficult job to do at the best of times and 
the more and more these things are happening and he actually alluded to it as well Liam since about 2018-ish last five years or so and that's kind of uh, a time frame that's come up a lot on this series kind of how things have changed so rapidly over the last five to ten years the last decade or so I th- things have just changed beyond comprehension and I thought again he kind of spoke about it well and when it comes to weather conditions like that, it's it's a way in which, and that was the last question I asked him, how can the public, people like myself and yourself, Deirdre, how can we best help them? Because it is a difficult job at the moment, um, but they are doing their best while also trying to be more environmentally friendly, which I thought was brilliant to hear as well. Yeah, so it was really it's great interesting work to done. hear the, the work that was being done. I suppose yeah. I wouldn't have been aware of that in Same. terms of the, like the harvesting of the rainwater. Obviously, it seems very simple when it's, you know, when uh, Liam was talking yeah. about it, but it just shows the use that it has both in terms of just collecting the water, using it uh, as a, you know, to wash the trucks. Yeah. yeah. Also then from the training purposes. Yeah, that was it. And it, it was interesting. You mentioned there the kind of in um their training centre in Hackettstown. I think it's the, they have the most trainees of anywhere in the country so and the tanks underground yeah so you can imagine there's a foundation being built there for not just the locality but just generally fire and people that work in the fire service across the country maybe even and to know that that kind of foundation is built upon more different ways of looking at things and different ways that are beneficial when it comes to our local climate and our local environment because if we continue kind of looking at it like in that way then these extreme weather conditions will eventually we hope and, you know, it's, the science would prove that maybe they will roll back a bit and deteriorate and won't be as um, as much as we see it now currently. So I think that was really interesting. And it's good to see that they're kind of integrating and implementing different ideas and are going down a different line of thinking than maybe what would have been the norm in the past. So I think that was the most fascinating thing or one of the most fascinating things I would have got from when I was and speaking to Liam. solar panels as well and how they can be used yeah. in terms of the trucks uh, right down to the lights etc. And it was also interesting because we spoke about biodiversity last week um, how Liam mentioned that they had their bees. Yeah that was really interesting too I think so a lot going on it has to be said so it's just, yeah, in Carlow Fire combined. Rescue Service. Well look um Robbie, we are going to continue our discussions next week on local climate and environmental action and it'll be our last programme and that will focus on air quality. That's it, yeah. So a lot to look forward to next week. Okay, we'll be back next Wednesday just after 6pm and don't forget you can listen back to this show and all other episodes of Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Just check out the KCLR website 96fm.com. A big thank you to our guests this evening. Thanks to you for listening. That's it from Robbie and myself and stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.